0: Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and we have a great new show for you today. It's going to be the first first show of a doubleheader today. We've got Sal Marinello following us up with the Hot Corner. Our newest show now is the arms race with Jim Kernel. Uh, Jim's been a, a guest on our show twice before. He and I have gone back and forth, gosh, for almost a year, I would say, uh, where I've been blessed to listen to his research and his thoughts on pitching the uh, state of the game right now as it pertains to pitching. And he's not a guy that just has problems with it. He's got some great solutions. So we're going to open it up to this show today and, and, and hope our audience loves it. Before we get to Jim, though, want to just thank a couple groups. First, Blackout Coffee, Be Awake, Not Woke. It's our newest partner in the uh, advertising industry. And just make sure you go. Jim's going to, we'll put our Jim's code out there. We'll have him say it maybe before the show. I think it is, and I don't want to get it wrong, but I think it's Jim C, 20, all capital letters, but if not, we'll correct that. At checkout, get you 20% off. Thank you, Blackout Coffee, Beating a great friend. <laughs> Second to our audience, 60,000 and growing, 74 countries. You know what to do after this show. We're, biting the, we're fighting the analytics of the podcast world, just like we do in Major League Baseball. Give them five stars, write some great comments, keep us at the top of the iHeartRadio podcast network. And to our greatest listener, and he's been a three-time guest, I believe, our very first guest, Ted Kubiak, Former Oakland A, three-time world champion. If you need a stocking stuffer at Christmas, take a look at Ted's book, Old School. Great read for your baseball fan in the house. Also, he's got a wonderful fielding manual, How to Field a Baseball. The most in-depth, most comprehensive instruction on how to field the ball. Very different than what's out there in the world. Uh, today we've got, again, I said a great treat here with episode 371. I want to introduce two-time guests already on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, former Yankee farmhand, big-time prospect in the Yankee system. Great uh, great success as a high school coach. What caught my eye with all those accolades was just a tremendous researcher. He's just dived deep into his passion of pitching. I want to welcome Jim Kernel to the arms race here. Jim, welcome to your show.
1: Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience again and speak with you. Um, we did the first two podcasts last spring, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I hope your audience did too. And I hope they're going to enjoy what we're going to talk about today as we dive into this a little deeper and um, we speak about and I address what I feel um, are the issues that are um, hurting uh, youth pitchers as far as their health and development.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's our audience now. It's not uh, not my audience. It's it's ours as you, you being a part of this network now with the arms race here. So before we get going, I just want to have first audience get a pen piece of paper. Uh, this is going to be a, a great learning podcast for you with pitching. I recommend listen into it multiple times, uh, take copious notes. Uh, Jim will show you how to reach out to him afterwards uh, if you have any questions on it. But I know we're gonna touch on uh, four major points, velocity, training, Tommy John issue, and then spin rate as, as some of the uh, areas of, uh, of attack from you. But I uh, wanna give the audience a little bit of context. Some may have not listened. I encourage you to go back and listen, but you know, you've know, you deep dived into pitching uh, like no other. And, and I admire that. Uh, mm-hmm. I love people with passion. Which is what drew you to me, but um, as you've uh, embarked upon this, there's obviously a a mode of pitching. It's Max Velo, and you're going to get into that. I don't. You don't have to get into that as much. But as you've introduced this research and your thoughts on pitching, what's been your biggest? What's been the biggest challenge you faced with this? Um, The biggest
1: challenge I've faced with this is is the goal I've had with this, and I started this. In 2017, as I began to shoot some videos as part of my video series, I was and I'm still looking for people who have enough who have the intellectual curiosity to either call me or email me and say, hey, you know, this is pretty interesting. I I haven't looked at it this way or the people I work with haven't looked at it this way. I have some questions for you. And the reason I say that is that I'm looking to have a dialogue because that's how I can learn and that's how I can reaffirm what I'm looking at is correct. Or conversely, I can have people say to me, hey, Jim, appreciate what you've done. Appreciate what you see. But here's how we look at it and why Um, it doesn't mean I'll necessarily agree with that. But if somebody can provide me the evidence, uh, not just the ideology, but the evidence that show that, you know. As I'm looking at one or two things, I might be looking at it the wrong way or I'm not taking something in consideration. I am all ears. But I guess my frustration has been over these now six years. And obviously, it, I it quieted down during COVID. Um, I have not been successful outside of you and um, and um, Jim Cott um, and and now Rick Purcello willing to dialogue me and ask me questions and actually either agree with or refute what I've seen and what I'm thinking.
0: That's, that's really it in a nutshell. No, I think that's, that's very well articulated. And that's, that's what I was hoping you'd get to with, with that question. And the way you presented it to me, that's what, I mean, other than your passion for it. And I mean, every little corner is covered and, and our audience is going to get that. But the way you approached me was, tell me I'm wrong somebody tell me I'm wrong. Somebody tell me I'm missing something. Um, that that's what attracted to me. Cause that, that goes to my favorite question. When I'm discussing things with people, I ask what would have to happen for you to change your point of view? And you flip that on me right away. And I was like, okay, this, this is something I need to look deep into. And I, I am, I was a position player, professional uh, baseball player, but uh, second baseman. So I know pitching from the other side. I liked it when you guys lofted it up there so I could hit it. But, uh, you know, I, I sent it to Jim. That's what made me send it to Jim and Rick. And I used your same question. Tell him he's wrong. Let me hear that he's wrong. And uh, you've got some great, great people looking at it right now. Great eyes. And um, se- second question I just want to ask is kind of give the audience some context. You're obviously driven by this. Uh, this is obviously it's personal. I mean that in a positive way. But wh- what about this baseball? I don't want to call it a problem because it sounds like it's negative. But what about this baseball quest is important to you?
1: Um, it really relates to uh, <laughs> my personal athletic career, but more importantly, my coaching and working with individuals. Um, I was fortunate enough to coach with, uh, with some great individuals at uh, Danbury High School in Connecticut. Um, I live in Richfield, Connecticut, the neighboring town. And um, as I mentioned in my previous podcast, I coach football, basketball and baseball. Uh, and I was an assistant coach. And that was great for me. Uh, uh, because I didn't have to worry about who was failing a math class and who was missing the bus. I could just um, work with them, get to know them and, and provide them with the tools so they could become the best baseball, basketball, or football player they can be. Um, I thought that was my role as a coach. Um, you know, um, not to digress, but I, I felt that, and I still feel that sports demand a certain work ethic Um, I don't think they um, develop character. I think they reveal character. That's just, you know, for a separate conversation. But what what drove me as a coach and now is on this particular research is that I wanted to provide youth pitchers, number one, the tools to become better pitchers and improve their performance, which is what I talk about on my video series. The, The tagline is improving health, improving performance on the mound. And also, I wanted to try to attempt to educate parents um, as an aside, um, not an aside, as an important factor about how they can spend their money wisely and how they can spend their child's time and their time wisely with all the tools at their, their disposal to help their child become a better athlete, basketball player, pitcher, quarterback, whatever. And I'll talk about that a little later in the podcast. But that's really what drives me as an individual. Um, I want to just help people reach their potential. And what I see going on in the youth sports world, not only in baseball, but other sports, but we're talking about baseball at this instance, I'm not happy with it. And I think it needs to be done better. And um, I'm trying to, uh, I don't want to say educate, because that sounds a little pontifical and hubris, I'm trying to share my thoughts with people and my experiences which are vast and, and I don't vast is not the wrong word which is probably you know rather extensive from coaching and also being involved with instruction for 20 years and having a daughter who was a exceptional high school athlete who was recruited in college and who I went with went through the recruiting process in volleyball and lacrosse which I can talk to later without, you know, belaboring that point. So I've kind of seen a lot of it and I've experienced a lot of it from a parental perspective, from a coaching perspective, and obviously from a playing perspective. So I marry that all together and go, what can I do to help young athletes and what can I do to help parents? I
0: I don't think that's pontificating at all. I, I would have to imagine, I use this phrase, I'll use myself in case it sounds arrogant, but... There's, there's rarely a time where I'm sitting in the stands watching my children play where mm-hmm. I don't have the best sports resume in the stands. So I think uh, I would have to gather you're pretty much the same. So educating, I think, is, is a good word to use because these the parents out there, they're being educated by somebody. Um, they're, they're watching this stuff on social media on YouTube and they're mm-hmm. following someone. So the reason why we started this podcast in part was to get the right voices out there, the real voices. And, and, uh, now welcome, welcome to the family, Jim with, with the arms race here. So let's get to the meat and potatoes of this, uh, to what we're going to do. And, and for the audience, it's going to be a little bit different than future podcasts and that we want to get the information out there that Jim's about. So you have that background, so you know how to make use of the future podcast when we have guests and whatnot. So this is going to be a lot of Jim um, going through his program, going through different points. And then with me interjecting a little bit, just so you know, um, that I didn't, uh, I'm not just sitting here drinking my blackout coffee. So, um, <laughs> a little plug for blackout there, but you know, you, uh, Jim, you know, the four points that you made, and I, I want you to start wherever you want and don't let my questions, if I interject, don't let it ruin your flow. No problem. A lot of times the other podcast hosts will tell you, I ask very selfish questions. Sometimes it's me as a parent, sometimes it's me as a former college coach sometimes as a former pro and sometimes somebody who has that 10,000 foot view now, but you talk about four points and I, I just want, I'm going to throw them out and you just, I'll let you go. Um, you know, velocity, the the, the max velocity thing is a killer the ways kids are training now, you know, we, we, you and I have talked about those, those heavy balls, the Tommy John epidemic, and then, uh, the misnomer about spin rate. So I'll kind of just throw Those are the four points audience that kind of, we're going to, we're going to capitalize on. We will talk about more stuff, but, uh, Write that at the top of your page, and Jim, I'll just kind of turn turn you loose now.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, and and as we mentioned before, I think as a preface, um, I try to and and I, you know, and I'm in a u- unique position to do this because I do not work for anybody, and uh, I'm not beholding to anybody as far as uh, my beliefs or my position. But I I've tried to uh, with respect to this issue, look at it from I use the expression ten thousand feet, meaning step back and go, okay. Let's look at the broad picture here. And with any issue, uh, as all your listeners can certainly recognize uh, in our country today, uh, and this is not just baseball, uh, it's important to look at um, all the causes, all the factors. Uh, You know, every issue has a multiple sided prism. Uh, You can't look at it through one, one particular issue or cause or your own personal agenda or belief. So um, and not I, I don't want to get philosophical there, but so that's how I kind of look at this. And I said, you know what, I'm going to try to <clears throat> put all the pieces together. I'm going to evaluate all the pieces that I see. And then I am going to then process that and, and understand that. And this is important. While there may be many factors or causes that create a problem or an issue, we all have to recognize. And I, I've come to recognize with this issue that there are some that are more significant. And more, the and more that and some that play more of a major role. So that's where you know that's where you come in with some perspective and go, okay, there's seven causes here, but let me see if I can weight these. They're all not equal, right? And and that's really kind of where I'm coming from from this perspective. So as we talked about, my my concern is what I see um, and recognize that 16 year old pitchers, and I'm just using 16 as an example. What they see, what they read, what they hear, what they're being taught. Okay. And as you said, I've not, not narrowed it down, but I've identified four issues that I think are impacting significantly the health and development of a young pitchers. So and I'm not gonna take them one at a time. You've already expressed them. So number one in my book is velocity. And from two perspectives. <laughs> I'm sure that all your listeners um, have read about the scientific evidence um, about when uh, when a ball or an object in motion travels, right? It slows down. It's called gravity. Um, I don't have a a degree, and I'm sure your listeners don't have a degree in kinesiology or biomechanics, but they understand that if somebody gets on the golf tee and hits a golf ball, a professional golfer, and their ball speed is 160, when that ball lands 340 yards down the fairway, that ball speed is about 40 to 50 miles per hour. That's why it lands; it slows down. Okay. Jim, I've got a question for you. Is that
0: is that um, we get a lot of people on social media that that well, that's it's one of the world talks nowadays, where they claim that the pitchers nowadays throw so mm-hmm. much harder than those of the you know the 80s, the 90s. The Nolan Ryan doesn't throw as hard as you know Jacob Degrom. Uh, I mean. How do you how do you justify that? Well, that's
1: a good question. And, and that's really the, the, the uh, you know, the I, I didn't mean to digress with the golfer, but that was just an example that I thought your audience might be able to relate to. <laughs> it's been scientifically proven that. Let me back up. Forty years ago, they um, tracked the velocity and clocked the velocity of the baseball crossing the plate. That was the original, I believe, Jugs gun. Now they clock it with Statcast stat cast out of the hand. OK. It's been scientifically proven that the difference between the velocity out of the hand versus crossing the plate is anywhere from seven to nine percent different. Okay, so that means if a pitcher is clocked today at one hundred miles an hour. Yes. Yes. Out of this hand, that ball is one hundred miles an hour. But when it crosses the plate and I'll even use just five percent because I'll go, you know what? I'll be conservative, really conservative that 100 becomes 95 when it crosses the plate. So in essence, a pitcher that's throwing 100 is the same as the pitcher who threw 95 or 94 40 years ago. So so my concern, let's get this let's go back to the youth pitcher, okay, is that now when they see and read about all these hurlers that are throwing the baseball a hundred miles an hour. And that's kind of the glitzy number that sells everything. Wow. It's hundred. It's 102. It's 104. Forget about the fact that he can't hit the broadside of a barn. That's a whole nother day's worth of conversation, but they go, wow, I'm only at 88. I'm only at 86. I'm only at 91. I got to pick up that weighted baseball. I got to, I got to deadlift. I got to do whatever I got to do because if I'm going to pitch in the show or I'm going to get a college scholarship, I need to get that velocity up. Now, if everybody who wrote an article or talked on TV said, hey, X, Y, and Z just threw 100, but hey, viewing audience, remember, that's really 93 from 40 years ago. Because when people say, I had a writer say to me when I talked about this, they go, well, what's the big deal? And I'm going, Seriously? I go, the big deal is that the only reference point that the young pitcher or the parent or any baseball fan has about velocity is that they know that if Johnny Jones is throwing 100, well, that means he's throwing six miles an hour harder than Steve Carlton. And that's not the truth. Okay, that's not the truth. I don't care that it's not the truth about Major League Baseball and college baseball and minor leagues. I'm concerned it's not the truth for the my, for the young hurler who at 15 years old is being told, you know what, you only throw 85. You need to get up to 89 because that's what they're looking for. Okay. That's my concern about velocity in that respect to what you're saying.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. I, I think our audience needed to I think you not only did you answer my question, you, you kind of led into your, your, uh, the problems you have with it because these kids are young, young boys. They're growing socially, they're growing physically, they're growing intellectually, and they don't know what to do with all that stuff yet. And it's, it's, it's I'm glad that you've, you've not only deep dived it, but you've, you've, you've made it digestible.
1: Well, I, these- you know, Dave, it's kind of like, I try to look at it with common sense and logic, right? And, and connect the dots and go, okay, well, well you know, I am sure, I don't want to bore your your listeners, but just just two anecdotal stories about velocity. And I have about 40 of them, okay? We could spend a day. I ran into a parent and uh, said, hey, how's the big guy doing? He's 16 years old, 17, 16, 17 years old. He's a high school pitcher, but he's a prospect. He goes, oh, he was down in a showcase in Georgia. They clocked him at 86. So I looked at him, I go, how's this changeup? And this gentleman said he doesn't have one. Well, that ended the conversation. Okay. I ran into a parent, a mother, whose, (laughs) whose son just left for college. And I know the kid, we actually played against them. And I said, hey, how's the big guy doing? Great. He threw 93 yesterday. So I'm going, where did they get this fixation on velocity? Did this mom and dad just figure this themselves and go, hey, my kid's 18 years old. I got to get him to throw 92 miles an hour.
0: I don't think so. No, you're right on that. In fact, I, one of these shows I'll bring my neighbor, Michael, on when I see him walking by. Um, <laughs> he, gets, he gets banned from talking to me for a week. And he listens to every podcast. So he's listening to, the, to this. Anytime he, anytime he comes out and I say, hey, how'd your son do? And he, anytime you said he... He maxed out at. I just turn and I walk away. I don't get angry. I don't show any emotion. I just kind of turn and walk away. That's one week. You're banned. And he's like, "It's." He's gotten caught a few times, but now I'm. That's the way I'm helping to educate him on. You've got to get out of that mode of of he maxed out at. How many strikes did he throw? How many outs did he get? You know, um, what, what's what was his approach on the mound? Is he healthy? What's he doing to recover? So anyway, it's we we have fun with it. Um, I know it aggravated him the first, probably four or five times, but he's getting used to it now. He's getting used to it. Oh, maybe I know. Talk-
1: and you know what? I, and 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 for those fans who who know, I, I always enjoyed watching uh, Field the Dreams. I I like the quote, the James Earl Jones. I paraphrase it, but it's you know, build you, know, you know, it's kind of like you know, sell it and they will buy. Um, yeah. I I understand the reality of it, and that's what we talked about trying to maybe share some of my experiences or what I see. But, um, you know, it's it's very difficult when that's what's being sold as the ticket for the golden ticket to get a scholarship or the golden ticket to get drafted. Right. I understand the focus, but the focus has to change. It has to change for the well-being of a 16 year old pitcher.
0: Yeah. No, I I like your approach with it. It's it took 25 years to get to this point. We're going to have to. Really educate this generation, and it does start with the parents. So I, I know I, I interrupted your flow a little bit with velocity. Is um, how how does and if you haven't finished with velocity, keep going with it. But how do we how do we uh, bridge into training? How does this this well, thought? One more, one good point. But one more point
1: about velocity, and this goes back to wanting to have a conversation and wanting to ask questions and wanting to get answers. Um, the flip side of the velocity relates to. All the research I've been doing and I've done. And I think I previously mentioned on my previous two podcasts, in the last four years, um, I've kind of switched my focus where I created the video series to saying, you know, I've seen all these injuries with high school pitchers and working with them. Let me see what's going on with Major League Baseball. So in the last three to four years, I've evaluated between Major League minor league and collegiate pitchers and high school pitchers over 550 pitchers who have been injured and have evaluated their wow. throwing motions right so i don't you know we'll get into this later and i don't want to belabor the point but my point is from an injury perspective and this is once again talking to 16 year olds 17 year olds and their parents if if the velocity issue doesn't exist because the 100 is really Steve Carlton or anybody back then who threw 94, 95. And I'm not, I'm just throwing Steve Carlton out there. I might be wrong. He threw 96. I don't know the case may be, but if there's a difference in the velocity significant and that gentleman's hundred, that pitcher's hundred is really yesteryears and your grandfather's 92, 93. My question is, How can you blame all the injuries on velocity? I do not understand that. It does not make sense to me at all. And I'm going, there has to be other reasons. And when I look at the throwing motions of all these pitchers, I go, ah, they all throw the same part of it or the foundation, or we talked about there's different um, significant um, weight to different causes. And it gets back to my research and go, my my money's on how they throw the baseball. my money's on how they throw the baseball um, but um, you know we'll leave that for a further conversation down the road or towards the end of the podcast
0: yeah i mean we, we could fill up seven shows on that stuff that's that's where well to the audience and I know, we know we're going to flow into um, how training is a factor now, but as we're hitting these four factors the spaces between these notes are the amazing parts of this. So really grab onto the four factors. And over the course of podcasts, we'll take your cues as listeners, but we'll dive as deep as you want into the space between the notes, because that's that's where this research really uh, takes shape into how we can affect the future. So uh, go, go ahead, Jim. Sorry.
1: So anyway, so, you know, before we go on to training, let me give you two examples, right? So I'm not pulling this out of thin air. I want to share this with your viewing audience. Okay. And I have the analysis are in great detail. I'm just going to highlight two of the ones I've done because when I do an analysis, whether it's the 2022 IL list and I break down everybody with shoulder, elbow, Tommy John surgeries, and I look at their throwing motion, I have researchers that help me out. And I also ask them, tell me and, 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 and research and Google whatever I hit, my kids always yell at me for using the word Google. I want you to research what their average velocity is and what their max velocity is, because I want to get an idea of who's getting hurt and how hard they throw the baseball. Because once again, everybody's blaming, they're all blaming the injuries on the increase in velocity. So let me just share two quick things with you, right? I evaluated the I.L. list from 2022, and I'm just going to give you two samples from April and May. There were 117 hurlers those two months. 57% had an average fastball velocity of 94 or less, right? So if I take, like I said, the conservative 5%, okay, that equates for these 66 pitchers, they threw somewhere between 90 and 91 if they were throwing in 1980 or if they're, you know, I said, their grandfather's velocity. Twenty pitchers or 18 percent had an average velocity of 97 plus, which today people would say, "Hey, that's some pretty good heat, right? Five percent had 99 or more, OK? But that 97 and 99, even at five percent, would equate to 92, 93, 94. So I kind of joke, but you know, I, I told you that Ryan, Carlton and Jenkins must get a tremendous kick out of this velocity storyline. Because when they threw, 94 was not considered high heat by any stretch of the imagination. Right. One more analysis I did because I've studied a lot of minor league pitchers. I had somebody study the number one draft picks from 2018 to 2022. 62 percent have been injured already. The bonus money paid out to these hurlers was one hundred and forty three million dollars. So here's their, now this, here's their max velocity as my research has found. And once again, you know, that could be off a couple of miles per hour, but you get the idea, right? 18% through a max velocity of 92 to 93, that equates to 88, 89, 40 years ago. Max velocity 94 to 95, almost 30% through that, that equates to 90, 91, 40 years ago. Okay, 10% through 98 plus, which today is, if you listen on TV, it's high heat. That would equate to 94 40 years ago. So to summarize that, I will ask my question again. If we're comparing apples to apples in the world of velocity, can 88 to 94 really be the issue? That's
0: my question. And I
1: haven't gotten an answer to that.
0: Yeah. That well, that brought you to the next uh, next point in your your research the training what what have what have you uncovered discovered there
1: yeah we, you know we we talked about that at length in a couple of phone conversations, and I've seen this firsthand. I've talked to people about this, I talked to coaches whatever um it's once again let's let's look at this from a common sense perspective. I think it's universally accepted by, mechanic, by biomechanic experts or doctors that throwing a baseball is considered the most violent action in sports, right? That, that I think that's understandable. So I don't understand the training methods where they have a 16 or 17-year-old throwing a weighted ball to gain velocity. Let's put aside the fact that I consider the velocity issue a myth, it's, but let's just look at the fact that they're throwing weighted balls. And I've said this to kids I've coached, and I've said this to coaches, and I might be wrong and your viewers can let me know or call me up or somebody who's involved in, in professional basketball or professionally NFL. I've never heard of an NFL quarterback who throws with a weighted football to increase his ability to throw a football. I've never heard of a NBA basketball player that shoots with a weighted basketball to become a more effective three-point shooter. I have never worked with a pitcher and asked them to throw a weighted ball. I'll be honest with you. Of the 550 pitchers I've evaluated and the pitchers I've worked with or evaluated in a high school level, I wouldn't let them throw a ping pong ball with the motions they have until I work with them and had them made adjustments. So I do not understand that particular training method. Um, I tell athletes all the time that if your goal is to get velocity, okay, and your goal is to throw the ball through a brick wall, then it's, uh, I will, you know, paraphrase James Earl Jones again. I said, I tell them, build it and it will come. Number one, you need to build a fundamentally sound athletic throwing motion, which creates balance, stability, and optimal timing. OK, uh, we have talked about that in the past. I can talk about that later in future podcasts. Number two, you want to build fundamental strength, balance, and agility and speed. That means fundamental. I have friends of mine who sell me share with me programs that are being sold across the country. There was one that stated, if you can bench press 300 pounds, you can throw 90 miles an hour. If that was the case, every lineman in the NFL would have 110 mile an hour gas. That is an absurd statement. Number three, importantly, it, as I said, build it and it will come. It is velocity. It will come. Okay, Velocity cannot be a youth pitcher's primary goal at the expense of their health and development. Okay, velocity will flow out of a building a strong foundation as you, uh, obviously, as you, as, as you grow and you develop, okay? Uh, the greater the foundation you build, the greater your success and also the, the greater your velocity, you know? And we didn't say this before, and I'm sorry I skipped over it, but here's the real, here's the big issue from a performance standpoint. Forget about health. That's, that's an aside. That's one issue. Velocity turns the paradigm of pitching on its head. On its head. To be a successful pitcher, okay, and I did throw and I was very successful until I got injured, okay, and I work with pitchers all the time and I preach this all the time. It's number one command, it's number two change of speed, it's number three movement, it's number four velocity in that order. What this chase for the golden ticket or the the you know of a velocity okay it's it's turned that upside down where there's no concern about command, there's certainly no concern about change of speed, okay, okay, as a young hurler, and I don't mean to digress, the second pitch you learn is a change up because if you talk to any hitter, okay, the most trouble they will have or their issue is. Can the pitcher upset my timing? Okay, throwing the ball through a brick wall is not going to upset the pitcher's timing. So what we've done is we've changed this paradigm, chasing the the golden ticket of velocity. And now and and I'll give you I'll give you one example. Not that I I don't mean to digress. I do these motion studies and I take 15 to 20 pitchers. And it's kind of like for you, for the older people in the audience, it's kind of a Pygmalion, my fair lady. I know what I'm going to get. They all throw the same. And we say, we're going to work for four weeks and we're going to make adjustments. And if I have 20 pitchers, I take two at a time, twice a week for four weeks to move them along so they develop an athletic fluid throwing motion. But before I do that, I have a little test and I go, we're going to throw 20 pitches. Okay. I, I've never, I don't talk to them about anything, I haven't shown them anything. I go, we're going to throw 20 pitches. Okay, It's going to be three fastballs down the middle, two on the hands, two in the knee to a right-handed, low and away to a left-handed hitter. Then we're going to throw 3 changeups, And then we're going to throw two curveballs for strikes and two curveballs low and away on each knee. Oh, two counts. So it's like 20, 22 pitches. There is nobody I've ever worked with the last two years. And there's probably, I'd say, a total of 70 to 75 pitchers who have had a strike ratio higher than 20%. I had several kids who thought they were Bob Gibson, who they were concerned about. And this isn't a gym, throwing a ball through the wall who couldn't command one strike with that simple test. And I'm going, okay. now you understand what we're trying to do, because we're trying to create balance and stability to reduce your risk of arm injury. But we're going to try to get you to throw strikes because you can't throw a strike in a gym to a catcher. What are you thinking to be able to do in the mound in the sixth inning? Score tied with the number three hitter up. Understand what I'm talking about.
0: And they go, Yes, coach. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: That's a great point. We, we, we share a lot on we have a couple different pitchers that run podcasts with us with Jim Rooney and Will George, Mark Wiley, um, Jim Cott, obviously. And we've got, I mean, everywhere from, you know, Jim Palmer's been on. And invariably, they all say the same thing, similar to what you're saying. In a controlled environment, you've got to be able to throw eight or nine out of 10 pitches over the plate to start. That's 17 inches. Then you split this plate in half. Then you split it in quadrants. But until you can do it um, in, a, in a controlled, low-pressure situation, you shouldn't be moving on to another pitch or trying to increase velocity. Um, so I think those are great points. I, I think, uh, you know, with what you're describing with training, I think it's a uh, – you know as you as you say very clearly you've got you've got a way to build a picture from beginning to end, but you don't try to cram all that into day one day two day three if if we're at two plus two equals four, you stay there and you just worry about those couple factors and until they get that down, then you move to the next in a logical progression based on each pitcher so I, I like that teaching approach it's it's uh to me it lends itself to more uh long-term success, as you like to say. And it also lends itself to each pitcher's different. Um, you know, everybody's not a cookie cutter. And I think in the end, they learn a little bit more about themselves. And at the at the, at the the end of the day, and Cott, uh, Jim Cott will say this all the time, you've got to be your own pitching coach. You've got to be your own pitching coach out there. And I think the, w- the way your approach is, and our audience will learn this over time if they haven't already, um, your methodology not only allows pitchers to pitch longer, healthier, smarter, but it is a, uh, as I like to call an education, it's a journey on unobstructed self-expression. You're going to learn who you are over the course of this time. So I love the approach. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a great, great way to go about it. What about these time? And again, if you have to, if, you, if I have- Oh yeah, one more off. thing, I agree. And we'll
1: talk about that a little later when I'll end, I'll end this podcast. We'll talk a little about the process. But one more thing about training is um, long tossing. OK, and as I said, I have friends of mine who, who share, who fo- follow me on this journey, who have coached and played baseball and, and share information with me. Say, hey, hey, Jim, you got to look at this. Right. I, I see programs that are being sold that, you know, three times a week, long tossing. And once again, I'll ref- go back to the statement that throwing a baseball is the most violent motion in sports. So I will preface it by saying I never long tossed in my life. I, I did long toss if I want to use the expression the second day after I pitched, the warm up um, to either throw batting practice or a bullpen, and um, I threw batting practice twice in a ball, and they stopped me from doing it because I wasn't going to throw a batting practice just to throw strikes for the hitter. I was going to throw a batting practice to get work in, and hitters were getting pissed off at me, so I wound up just going to the bullpen. But that's besides the point. But I long toss just to loosen my arm up, never to see how far I could chuck a baseball. Now. I could throw a football 75 yards, I played quarterback, so I could probably throw a baseball a long way, but I didn't think it was important or necessary because my goal was to throw a baseball 60 feet, right? So once again, let me, let me relate this to professional athletes, uh, because I think it's something that's common sense that your viewers might understand. I've never heard of a quarterback who stands on the goal line and tries to chuck the ball as far as they can for 20 minutes because they want to improve their ability to throw the football. Likewise, I never did that coaching quarterbacks. Same thing with basketball players. I've never heard of a professional or collegiate basketball player that starts at the three-point line and starts working their way back to the other three-point line or foul line to see how far they can chuck the ball to become a better shooter. Okay. Never, I've never taught that either. So common sense to, says to me, I don't understand how they feel this enhances an ability for somebody to throw the ball and throw the ball harder. To me, it it's whatever value there is there, the downside and the cost is much greater than any detri- than incremental value that a young pitcher could ascertain or get from this particular exercise. That's my yeah. opinion.
0: No, it's, those are great illustrations. <laughs> it made me laugh. I didn't mean should have muted myself, but when you use the analogy with the football and the basketball. Because long toss is a it's a baseball cannon. I mean, people who buy into this max velo stuff, they do it, but also people who don't. So it's on both sides of the fence. So, um, But your, your point is well taken. You're, you're designed to throw 60 feet, 6 inches and how far. I have seen, and you brought the point up about the bench press, I have seen people with long toss programs equate the distance that you can throw two miles per hour. Yes. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. We had a kid one time. Okay. Really tall, talented kid. Uh, you know, his problem was he had three pitching instructors besides me, the high school coach. So I wasn't getting anywhere with him, but this is a true story. The guy I coached with great guy. I said, Hey, how's, uh, you know, how's Billy Bob doing? How's Bill doing? And he goes, Well, you know, he was shoveling the snow on the football field because he wanted to see if he could throw, and he was working on throwing the baseball the length of the football field. This is in the middle of December. So, once again, as with the parents, I'm going, did this kid make this up and say, you know what? I'll just see how far I can throw the baseball in December because I want to throw the baseball 90 miles an hour. Now, this is really critical here, this last next point I'm going to make. I watch kids long toss. I coached for 12 years and we allowed kids, or so the coach I work with said, we're gonna long toss. Okay. The motions they used, now I'm talking about the pitchers now. The pitchers' motions to throw the ball off the mound on a scale of one to 10 were probably anywhere from a one to a three. Now they get into a long toss mode where they're trying to chuck the ball as far as they can, and whatever semblance they have of kinetic timing and proper throwing goes out the window. And I'm going, you guys are all gonna get hurt. This, there's nothing productive about this. So to your point about teaching, right? If I had to teach somebody or I was mandated to have somebody long toss, okay? Number one, I would teach them the proper throwing motion, playing catch. If they prove to me they can pitch and they can throw the ball the right way, now we'll work on distance. As soon as they break down to try to throw the ball further and they haven't been able to create this consistency, I shut it down and go, you know what? You're done at 120 feet. You you want me to allow you to throw 160? You got to show me that you can throw 160 with a proper motion. Even with that, I don't agree with it, but I could live with that much better because when they're throwing the ball now, It is Katie barred the door. It all goes out the window and I'm going, this is nuts. That's,
0: that's, that's all I can say on that issue. Well, I know we're, we're closing in and we've got a couple more to do, but um, that brings you to your next point where the evidence is in the Tommy John surgeries. There was almost, Mm -hmm. and he brought up the point about the draft picks uh, the percent of 62% were injured. Didn't specifically say Tommy John, but I would guess most were, but we hear a lot of kids talking about, my second Tommy John surgery, which to me means that they either are planning on or had a first one. So, um, to, to touch on that a little bit for us,
1: yeah, we're, we're, you know, we, we've talked about in the past where I've evaluated a well, lot throwing motions and probably 140 of them have been Tommy John. I want to get to this point though, and this is really important. It's about what they're saying about Tommy John and what they're promoting about Tommy John. Once again, how it impacts a 16 year old and his parents. Okay, because my experience in my research tells me for every Verlander they want to promote, to his credit, won the Cy Young Award. There are five who probably four to five who struggle to get back to their previous success. I have a file of pictures with a five and a half plus ERA who have had Tommy John surgery. OK, they might get there. They may not get there. But it's not all, it's not all, you know, it's not all roses for them. <laughs> Number two is that there are four to five who never get back on the mound, who are just relegated to the trash heap, and you never hear about them. Now, I understand how the world works, and we always want to promote what we want to sell because it's, you know, it's, it's a sizzle, it's the headline. But that's extremely disingenuous, and it really hurts the young pitcher because I will give you an example. I was asked to evaluate about four or five pitchers from a high school program in Pennsylvania, really high profile program, very successful. And the reason I was asked to evaluate six pitchers is two of those pitchers, two other pitchers had Tommy John surgery at 16 years old. And this is what I was told by the coach, the instructor said to these two young pitchers. You know what? And they were struggling. They had arm issues. They had elbow issues. Right. They were also throwing weighted balls. That's a separate conversation. He said to them, you know what? You're going to have to get Tommy John sooner or later. So you might as well get it over with. And I'm going, I hate to use the word criminal, but that's criminal. OK, my response is, how about this conversation? Hey, Joe, you're a young kid. You're 16. I know you have some issues here, but let's see what we can do. I think you need to make some adjustments here. This is what you're doing wrong. This is how you can correct your motion. We'll work on this. It might take some time. So we can mitigate, reduce the risk of um, stress on your arm, and and most importantly, mitigate your risk of injury. But instead, the response is, hey, you got to get it sooner or later. As with my opening statement, that's the issue that I have, my concern with youth pitchers what they see, what they read, what they hear, what they're being told regarding Tommy John's surgery. Okay. That is, I'm, in, I'm incredulous that that is taking place. I'm not surprised, but that is a major concern of mine because that's not reality. Okay. And you need to speak to reality when you're talking to 15, 16, and 17 year old pitchers who don't have the intellectual and emotional maturity to understand what the heck is going on.
0: No, fair points. I think it always comes back to that. And that's what I like to keep it grounded. Um, There's in-depth research, but really to make this work, we have to bring it to the masses and that's the parents where it starts. So, um, you know, With with the Tommy John surgeries, we saw almost a billion dollars a year wasted by major league clubs on injured players. um, Can can we get to the spin rate? Is that that Can I I say
1: one more thing about Tommy John? And this is Go go ahead. Real quick, and I I didn't mean to interrupt you. This is this is per my analysis, right? And once again, and I said to Rick Parcella, we were talking. I can only assume this based on what I see. All the pitchers I've evaluated at any level. Who have had Tommy John surgery. None of them adjusted how they throw the baseball. No adjustments whatsoever. Even those, even those who have had two Tommy John surgeries, I've evaluated their motions prior to and post. No adjustments in the throwing motion. So as a layman, okay, I look at it and go, okay, that tells me one, you don't think your throwing motion has anything to do with your injury. Or nobody wants to stand up and raise their hand and say, hey, Joe. I think you need to make some adjustments or hey, we we've invested too much money. We're not going to do anything. I get all that. Once again, that's an issue for me with 16 year olds, because when I go to them, OK, and one anecdotal story about that, I had a pitcher. Great kid, not I'm sorry, great upside, bull of a kid, bullheaded as can be, tried to talk to his father. Here's my concern. Here's my issue. He's going to have a serious arm injury. He was 17 years old. Well, Jim, you know, we got two instructors. Um, um, They're working on it. He's throwing 87. They telling me he's good to go. Uh, He's throwing weighted balls. He's long tossing. He's in great shape. I go, okay, thanks. No problem. Good luck. Year and a half later, Tommy John surgery. And I go, this is not that complicated. More importantly, That's why and that's how it's impacting youth pitchers. What they see, what they hear, what they read, what they're being told specifically to Tommy John surgery and their ability to recover from Tommy John surgery and what they are concerned about instead of what they need to be concerned about. That's my issue.
0: Yeah, that's the common thread through the three points you brought up today. And I'm sure it'll go through the fourth as well with you know, the, the max velocity chase, the way kids train, the, the, the misnomer about the Tommy John surgeries, as you shared just there. And I'm glad you brought that point. I'm glad you brought us back to that point, because I think that's a nice exclamation point on it if people were uncertain uncertain about, you know, just how far it's gotten. I think your your last point there certainly hammered it home. What yeah, about hey, hey,
1: hey, Dave, and I'm not saying that because I'm some kind of genius or saying, hey, you know, I'm clairvoyant. I'm just connecting the dots and using common sense and basically taking all the research I've done and seeing what I've seen on the youth level and what the results are and going, OK, let's put all the pieces together. And this what I this is what I think is going to happen. As you and I talked about in the past, I kind of have I, I, when I evaluate pitchers. I kind of evaluate them on, you know, do they smoke a pack of cigarettes a day? One and a half pack of cigarettes a day, two packs of cigarettes a day. Okay. As far as hey, what's your chances of getting injured? That's really it. It's all about how do you mitigate, and what are they doing to mitigate, and if they're not doing anything to mitigate, chances are you're going to get seriously hurt. That's what it comes. It's com- I, I I can't say that it's common. It, I look at it as common sense. It's common yeah. sense.
0: It's, it's it's actuarial. You know, you're you're doing it almost like an actuary. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So what about what about this? Uh, you know, we see it on every game we watch now. It's even at the youth baseball games. Um, when I say every game, every professional game and college game on TV. But at these youth games and youth tournaments, the things that you talked about we're seeing, we're seeing velocity on both sides to stick hitting and pitching. But we're seeing kids being told about their spin rate. And yeah. share share about that misnomer. Yeah. Um, I that think that is it. it's – Well, you gave sure. your four points. You gave me four points that yeah. you thought were command – Change of speeds, movement, and velocity. No, you didn't say spin rate. Well,
1: I'm right. sorry. the la- the last one, the last yeah, it was it was um, the la- the last issue what I what I spoke about was
0: spin rate. Uh, which no, no, was, I mean with, when you said the four, four tenets of pitching when you're working with a pitcher. Oh, I didn't, Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. There's change of speed, movement, that. and velo, but I didn't see spin rate in there. No, no, speed. that's correct.
1: You know, I, and I I <laughs> I once asked Joe Madden what he thought of exit velocity, and he said, "I know a hard line drive when I see one." Well, you know what? I I know a sharp breaking ball when I see one. Okay, so that that that's a good preference, a preface to this conversation. And and, and I'll be brief about this. But I look at uh, and and you know what? This is starting to seep in. I mean, velocity has just overtaking the youth world, but spin rate will get there. And it's getting there because of the scouting reports and how I see kids being evaluated at the collegiate and high school level as far as their ceiling goes. That's all I see about when I read a scouting report It's velocity and spin rate. OK, so here's my take on spin rate. And once again, I'm trying to be logical on this. Two factors. One, I think that spin rate is no more important to the pitcher as far as your evaluation as ball speed would be to the golfer. OK, um, you could have a ball speed of 160, but if you can't keep the ball on the fairway, You can't control your iron shots. You can't chip and you can't make 10-foot putts. That ball speed does you absolutely nothing. I don't care whether you have a curveball ball speed of, of, I mean, a spin rate of 2,700 or 10,000. If you can't command your curveball, if you can't throw it when you're behind in the count for a strike and ahead of the count to expand the strike zone, that spin rate does you no good. It also does you no good on the IL which for 40% of the pitchers is the case in Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. But once again, that's a separate conversation. So I look at spin rate as an attribute for the pitcher, a tool in his toolbox, not something that I can use to evaluate a pitcher's ability or his ceiling. Okay, I have to take that in combination with everything else he does on the mound. Because I did a video, one of the, the part three of my part four of my video series is mind over the matter, mind over the rubber. I'm sorry. It's the mental approach to pitching. And people always talking about, hey, you got to think the game. You got to think the game. Well, the only way you can think the game is you if you have a lot of tools in your toolbox. If I can't throw a change up for strikes, if I can't locate my fastball or my curveball, I can't think the game. I can't be a pitcher right? It's, it's impossible. All I have is a fastball that I'm trying to throw through the wall. Okay. Same thing. I look at spin rate as a tool. You know, if, if I have a great spin rate, well, that means if I can do everything and put it together, I'm going to probably have a pretty good breaking ball. Okay. But okay. So be it. Um, you know, so I did a study then I said, you know, what? I read about spin rate. I hear about this all the time. I mean, I've heard announcers and people talking about spin rate is the way everybody's evaluating pitchers. That's how they look at their, their, their value. That's how they look at their ceiling. That's even probably used in how they negotiate contracts. So I go, I'm going to look at spin rate. So I went to MLB.com. Savant. I took this right off the website. It took me a while. <laughs> I took four, six pitches, fastball, curve, slider, change, sweeper and cutter. And I, researched the top 30 pitchers, their spin rate for each of those pitches. So I'm not going to share the whole study with you at this point. Uh, it's too detailed. If if viewers are interested, they can email me. I can share it with them. But let me give you some highlights off of the study that I did, off of the numbers I got at MLB.com, uh, the savant. OK, the fastball. Fastball pitch, out of the top 30, one third had an ERA above 4.50. Curveball, 70% had an ERA above 4. Three of the top five had an ERA of 4 over 4.60, 4.60. Four of the top 30 had an ERA over 6.5. All the way down the line, um, changeup, 70% had an ERA of over 4. Nine of the top 10 in an ERA over 4.2 with the sweeper. Everybody talks about the sweeper. <laughs> 80, 80% of the, of the pitchers in the top 30 for spin rate had, had their spin rate of over 4. 47% over 4.5 and, and 12 of the top 20 in the sweeper spin rate category had an ERA of 4.56. So I'm looking at this going, okay. They got high spin rates. Are they really? Are they really really performing on the mound? Or how does that translate into the results? Because here's the kicker. I also this is this is who I researched. Now those are the those are the pitches the pitches I used. Here's the here's the base here's the a statistical base of pitchers I used. I took I took the ten top ERA leaders who had fifteen more qualified starts. I mean fifteen more starts. I took the 10 top ERA, ERA leaders who were just had qualifying starts. I took the top 15 relief pitchers who threw um, over 70 innings, who had an ERA over three and a half. I took the top 33 starters who had an ERA over 3.57. But here's the kicker. I took all the pitchers who had an ERA over four and they threw 75 plus innings. So that's the total number of pitchers I evaluated to use for this study to come up with the spin, the spin rate analysis of one through 30. It's probably about 170 pitchers, right? All, all top pitchers as far as performance goes.
0: Yeah. The, and, kicker and again, is,
1: the, the kicker is two of the pitchers in my top 10 starters were on none of the top 30 rankings. Okay. One of the hurlers who had a 4.64 ERA was number one in two of the rankings number three in another ranking, and number seven in another ranking. I had hurlers who were in all five categories or all six categories, and their ERAs were over four and a half. So I look at this study and go, is it really translate or can it be used specifically or wholly as a standalone statistic to go, this is why we value this pitcher. This is what his ceiling is going to be. I I just, I don't. Once again, that's my question. I'd like like an answer because the research I've done and what I know about pitching and all the factors that come into making you a successful pitcher on the mound, I'm not looking at his spin rate as the predominant factor or the preeminent factor to evaluate a pitcher based upon the numbers that I have. Um, Because as I said, all the pitchers I've worked with Their pitch, their catchers come back to me and go, hey, man, this curveball is really breaking sharper. It's really breaking sharper. I go, great. I don't ask, hey, by the way, how much is the spin rate increased? Yeah, it doesn't make any difference to me. As I said, I know a sharp breaking curveball when I see one. Okay.
0: (laughs) yeah. And I'll go math geek for the audience here just so they get an idea. An 85 mile an hour fastball. And this is the funny part about math that I call weapons of math destruction they'll throw a big number at you, say 1,800 revolutions a minute. Well, you don't. it doesn't take a minute for the ball to get from the pitcher's mound to the catcher. It's three-tenths of a second. So breaking that down for our audience, at the most, that ball is going to rotate nine times completely as it goes from pitcher to, to catcher. So that's not an awful lot. And I, I like your approach to it, like you have with everything. You didn't go into spin rate trying to disprove it. You went into like, wow, maybe this is something. Let me see if it correlates with – you know, successful pitching, and, and- I went.
1: In, I went in to try and understand it because I couldn't, I didn't understand it. So I go, let me look at the research, right? Um, and and your you, your point's a really good point. Thanks for bringing it up. I then broke down and I looked at the spin rates of some of the pitchers, right? So I took like twenty seven hundred for one of the curveball pitchers, right? And to your point. I researched and I saw that I found that the fastball takes anywhere from 0.45 to 0.60 or 0.65 to get to the plate. So I said, you know what? I'll use an average. Everybody likes to use the word average, right? So I took the revolutions then and then broke it down and go, okay, as to your point, how many revolutions to the plate? So I found out that between, and for all six of the pitches, between the number one ranking and the number 15 ranking we're talking about one or two more spins to the plate for between the number 1 number 1 pitcher and the number 30 pitcher in each of the categories we're talking 2 3 maybe 4 so i'm going okay so you're telling me that because x pitcher has a curveball that spins 9 times to the plate and y pitcher has a curveball that spins Ten or eleven times to the plate—that's the answer. And I go, I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, <it's> fair points. <laughs> I don't understand that. <laughs> so,
0: with our with our audience, we kept them we kept them for an hour, and I think it's been great information. What, um, where where can we find you? What's next? I know we're going to probably come back in a couple weeks, give them some time to digest this. You're working on a website. You're working on getting your videos ready to for to, to give because we're audio only here, but to give the audience a visual before that comes about, how can they find you? How can they reach you? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, let me, let me, uh, that's a, I I will do that. Let me just, let me just see if I can summarize this. I, I, I spent two years, um, doing sales training for Sharp Electronics around, traveling around the country and training salespeople. And what I, what I, what I was told to and I was preached to is that whenever you're presenting to somebody, you need to tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them and then tell them what you told them. Right. So, if you don't mind, I'm going to spend just a minute or two summarizing what I told them and then I'll give them the information um, in the context, in the big macro context of what we're talking about. And, and I'd like to talk to the parents now um, and 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 some of and the players is is number one. This is a process. OK, it's a step by step process. I know that in our in our in, in with issues today and how we react to things, we want results to happen overnight. But that's not the approach that you need to take as a young athlete or as specifically as a pitcher. You need to build a foundation. And and as I said, my perspective is the foundation starts with the throwing motion and building it from the ground up, that's one thing. Uh, Number two is for parents, and this is really important because I experienced this and I've been involved with this. As a parent, we're all looking to provide the best opportunities we can for our children, whether it's athletics, whether it's academics, Whatever your child's interests are, we inherently go, we want to provide opportunities for you. In the youth sports world, and I'll, and I'll talk specifically to baseball, everything that's provided or out there is a tool for you at your disposal to use for your child's development and for their well being. I don't care whether it's tournament teams, I don't care whether it's instructors, whether it's showcases, whatever the case may be. As a parent, My recommendation or my suggestion is you need to find somebody who can speak to you about your son or daughter's athletic ability and their ceiling, because you need to match the tools with your son or daughter's ability. And then you can take your understanding of their work ethic and their emotional development and package the whole thing together and go, okay, Team A is not for my son or daughter. Team B, that really matches up because going back to the James Earl Jones, sell it and they will buy. That's what's going to happen. And that does, and that does happen. And we could spend weeks talking about this because I I spent much time in the lacrosse world of my daughter, showcases in baseball, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to belabor the point, but that's really significant as far as understanding how to spend your time and money wisely and how to spend your child's Time wisely and how to put them in a position to be the best pitcher athlete they can be because that 's what we're talking about we're not talking about going in the major leagues we're not talking about going to college those are th- th- those are dreams okay as an athlete your goal is to get better each day that's what you can control the rest of it the chips for where they may so you know with that in mind we were talking about this um And we'll talk about this further. I'm I'm making available my series, The Athletic Pitcher, for purchase. And I also have um, I'm making available online instruction. I have an app that uh, people can send me uh, pitchers can send me videos, and I can annotate it and give them back a full lesson with voiceover. So I'm looking to package all that in the next month or two to provide, as as I said, the opportunity um, to uh, allow pitchers to build a fundamental throwing motion and build fundamental strength and development so they can be the best pitchers they can be um, and, and best athletes they can be, right? And it's a process. And that's how I look at it. Um, my, it's, the website is not available right now. It's being worked on. If anybody would like to talk to me further, if anybody would like additional information on what we talked about, they can reach me at J-A-C-TAP, as in tap your fingers, T-A-P. J I C tap two at gmail.com. And I'd be very happy to dialogue with them. Um, And and, then as we talked about doing future podcasts, um, we will, I will make uh, them uh, uh, make it available or tell them when the um, website is available for viewing. And also it's available for purchasing. Um, If that works for, you know, you and your audience, that's great, but that's kind of where we are at this stage of the game
0: yeah it's perfect and we'll keep we'll, we'll have a few podcasts between now and then we'll keep them informed as it comes about in the meantime take advantage of jim's offer of reaching out to him and it's 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 free information right now he'll listen uh he's obviously you can you can tell he he's done his work and he's he has the experiences and he's 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 seen the problem and he's walked around the problem several times from several different perspectives so i would certainly take advantage of it go back and listen to this podcast again a lot of good nuggets um You know, take some great notes and then let us know what you liked, what you didn't like. And we'll we'll uh, we will get get on this probably in two weeks, I think, is our next one. We'll announce it to the audience. Um, Jim, thanks for a great, great first episode. Can
1: I I ask you a question? And and this is is totally up to you. You you know, we 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 started talking and we kind of lost a little track and we we had to cover a few more things. Um, Would you like me to share what I had tended to do is just to share. Two of the testimonials from a high school and college pitcher that I work with that let's, give save them.
0: Those, let's save those for hey, the next time. We're backing back up on a sponsor and, and uh, Sal right now is okay. That's fine. The that's fine. Room. But uh, yeah, a lot, we have a lot of we have a lot more good stuff to share with Jim's program. Um, but thanks so much for a great first episode, three seventy one on the arms race, and uh, to our audience, sixty thousand and growing. We appreciate your support, seventy four countries, whatever language you're listening to us in. Five stars, write some great comments. Uh, that'll help us battle the analytics of the podcast world, just like we do in Major League Baseball. To our blackout coffee friend, Be Awake Not Woke, you can hit Jim up. Jim, capital letters, C, capital also, number 20, at checkout. Get you 20% off. You can use the arms race as your, your way to get some coffee mm-hmm. uh, for the holidays. And then Ted Kubiak's book, Old School, Great Stocking Stuffer for Your Baseball Lover, and his, his fielding manual, How to Field the Baseball. Uh, most comprehensive uh, instruction I've seen so far. It's not YouTube at all. It's it's a, a guy who's had success as a three-time world champion teaching you how to field a baseball like no other person I've, I've I've read, heard, or seen. So thanks so much. Jim, thanks for our first great show. We loved it. I appreciate it. Thanks for your
1: time and uh look forward to you again.